The opinions and views expressed in this program do not reflect those of KUCI, its management, or the UC Board of Regents. To find out more about this talk show or other talk shows broadcasting on KUCI, log on to our website at KUCI.org or check out the latest program guide. Good morning. You're listening to KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine, California, streaming online at KUCI.org and podcasting on iTunes. Welcome to Fighting for Love. This show will help you turn conflict into collaboration in all your relationships. I'm Lloyd, the show's engineer, and your host is Mari Frank, an attorney mediator since 1985. She's a mediator for the Orange County Superior Court Civil Mediation Panel. Mari's a professor of negotiations and conflict management and has been a certified state bar trainer for over 25 years. To learn more about the show and our great guests, please visit conflicthealing.com. Mari, what's your show about this morning? Well, today our show really is about higher consciousness, and I've been reading this beautiful book called Infinite Possibility, How to Use the Ideas of Neville Goddard to Create the Life You Want, and this is by Catherine Gigetti, and Catherine is coming to us all the way from England. So that's very exciting that she's with us today. And let me tell you a little bit about her. Um, Kat, I'm going to call her Kate. And Kate is a British television presenter and author with a background in science. And she was first introduced to metaphysics as a teenager by her mother, a former yoga teacher and education specialist. And she developed a penetrating and enduring fondness for self-empowering teachings of Neville Goddard, and she is devoted to spreading his message today, which she is doing in this book. And after postgraduate research at Oxford, Kate moved to Switzerland to work at the World Health Organization, and there she developed educational resources for rural communities in Africa. And then in addition to her academic science career, Kate has worked with BBC Science Unit and BBC Radio Oxford. And she served as news editor of the international journal Africa Health. She has published in the internationally acclaimed science journal Nature. And Kate has also presented two science series aimed at young adults for Channel 4 in the UK. And she lives in beautiful London. And you can find out more about her at our website, where you'll see her picture, a JPEG of her book, at Facebook. She can go to Facebook, Catherine Jagetti, and I'm going to spell that for you. Catherine is spelled K-A-T-H-E-R-I-N-E-J-E-G-E-D-E. That's like one word, Catherine Jagetti, and that's at Facebook. So you can search her and you can contact her and find out more. So thank you so much, Kate, for joining us all the way from the U.K., Thank you, Mari. It's really exciting to be here with you. Great. So tell us, um, what do you want us to know as the core message of your book? So it's about making uh, available to everybody, no matter what their background is, this innate gift that we're all born with. And it's the gift of consciousness and making it accessible and something that people understand and that they can use to literally create the life they want. 
And what I love about it is, and we were talking about this just now, is that for every chapter, you've got little exercises that you lead us through that really help us to be conscious and to to apply what you're talking to us about. So what inspired you to write this book? So initially, the book was written for me because I've been a student of this philosophy for many years. And what I would do is keep diaries and journals and I would keep all the best bits. I, you know, I'd make a note of them, put it, put it into my own words. And then I would always include an exercise because I wanted the philosophy to have practical application. So that it wasn't a project in terms of a traditional publishing project in that sense, but it was very much something that I wanted to have on hand, a quick reference, if you like. And that's where the inspiration came from. Well, I know that you're a devotee of Nivelle Goddard. And why don't you tell my audience, those people who don't know who he is, a little bit about him and why they might be interested in finding out more about him and really applying his ideas. I mean, he was such a wonderful man. He was uh, born into an English family on the island of Barbados, and it wasn't the traditional colonial wealthy European family. They were a family of very modest means. But Neville was a very adventurous young person, and as a teenager, he left Barbados and traveled to New York to pursue a career on stage. But he always had this very enduring and penetrating hunger for spirituality that he couldn't quite put his finger on. And later as a young man, he met an Ethiopian rabbi by the name of Abdullah, who taught him the Kabbalah and the Bible and mysticism. And through studying with Abdullah, his own ministry, as I call it, was birthed. And he began to teach and to write books and to do public speaking. But it was his power uh, to transform the human experience that was at the heart of his message. Yes, yes. So what makes your retelling of his message so important to you? Yes, great question. So what I found when I first uh, approached Neville was that his words really resonated with me. It made me feel wonderful, but I didn't quite understand everything he was saying right away. And I think because of his commitment to the Bible, to Kabbalah, and to esoteric mysticism, it might seem to some that you have to come from one of these sorts of backgrounds to be able to engage with this work. So I just wanted to strip away all of that kind of packaging or layering, if you like, and let people know that this is available to you no matter what your position is, even if you are uh, atheistic or agnostic, or you already have a system of belief that you're, you were born into, perhaps, or it's part of your cultural background, that doesn't hinder you in any way from taking part or taking advantage of this philosophy and seeing it work for you. So, you know, a lot of people are skeptic. They're into their own, like if they're, you know, their Christian religion, and they said this is the only way, and it's heretic to you know, it's heresy to read something like this or, you know, any any other religion if they're, you know, Muslim or whatever. So how do you answer that skepticism um, about self-help or the so-called new thought genre with people who are in very traditional religions, yet they don't seem to have the consciousness that I think would give them more peace of mind? So that's a wonderful question. So what I would say is that the work that I do and what Neville did ultimately is not based in any religious dogma. And and this work doesn't actually impinge on anybody's religious beliefs. It doesn't ask you to drop 
your religious belief. It's asking you to learn to use your imagination and it introduces you to what your imagination really is, which is substantively the cause, the the, uh, absolute causation or the substance of creation itself or God, as some people refer to it. Whatever you want to call it, that's fine. As I say, don't give up what you believe if you don't want to, but just embrace this philosophy. It's not telling you to become something. It's just teaching you to use what you already are. Let me ask you something, you know, in California, there's a lot of new thought and there, you know, we're kind of out there compared to maybe some of the places in the deep south of our country or the Midwest. Um, So we're, you know, in California, very open to this kind of thing more than maybe some other states. What is it like in the UK? Are they open to this? It's a much older culture. Um, I think the people are... um... There are people who are open to it, certainly, but I think the attitude towards it here is um, is one of cynicism more than anything else. And there can be, at times, a, a tendency to dismiss this without having tried it. I don't think the British are very um, up for trying things and looking foolish. So my answer to that is actually do this in private. You don't need to tell anybody what you're doing. It is wonderful that it is gaining um, in popularity, but I think the British really do love to uh, uh, be able to categorize things quite clearly. They don't like things that seem vague. But anybody who feels like that, I would say this is not a criticism of the British. I love the British. But this is just to say that anyone who is uh, worried about feeling foolish Rest assured, it's something that is entirely private to you, and you don't have to worry about looking silly. Right. I mean, I think about, you know, the UK as being a little bit more traditional, just like there are certain mm-hmm. areas of our country here that are uh, that are more traditional, you know, and uh, the Southeast and the Midwest, as opposed to the Northeast, like New York is more open and California is more open. But um, but it has to start somewhere, doesn't it? <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. So why should readers believe you or believe the ideas of, of uh, Neville Goddard? So, I mean, I, I always say to people, never take anything at face value. So I'm not asking them to believe me. What I'm hoping to do is inspire them to be curious enough to test this philosophy for themselves. So these aren't really my ideas or Neville's ideas. These are the ideas made public by us, if you like, but we believe that they are, well, when we say that they are divinely inspired, we're talking about a faculty of, of human humanity that every one of us is born with, and people are denying themselves the ability to live a better quality of life and to make important discoveries about themselves, about the way the world operates, about the way we function as a global community, about the things that unify us. And by being too skeptical to the point of not wanting to try it, you're denying yourself access to the source of infinite creation and inspiration. So I'm saying, why don't you try it and see? I'm not asking you to have faith in me. I'm asking you to have faith in yourself. Right. And you have a beautiful quote by Neville right here. You said, so I bring you a message to make you conscious. Man must awake from the dream where he is simply on automation, which so much of that is what we do that we do that on auto, right? Um, He moves like, he says, uh, he moves like a machine. Then he begins to awake. And when he awakes, then he is not that, he is not that, he is not that man at all. He seemingly 
in the past played for eternity. He awakes into a new being and a new man, or as we would say now, a new person or a new woman too. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's, it's um, you know, the consciousness is very important for us to really question who am I, you know, where, where am I going? Why am I doing all this? Um, so how can this work make a difference in the real world? So what it does is that it opens your or provides you with a new perspective for the way the world works. So what we teach in this philosophy is that the world is a schoolroom. And if you cast yourself in the role of a student, then you begin to look at the things you go through a little differently. And it's not just a question of all of these things that are happening to you, but there are things that are happening for a purpose. I think if somebody is suffering in some way, I think that suffering, um, if it's given context, becomes easier to cope with. And you could you begin to see solutions to that that problem, if you like. And I think that that's the bit that's important, important that our human experience is part of a bigger picture, and that p- picture is ultimately educative. It's the, pur- the purpose for it is to awaken us to who we truly are. You know, I love the saying that things happen not to us, but for us for Mm -hmm. our growth, for our evolution, for our higher consciousness. And so that's what seems to be, you know, uh, the metaphysicians are telling us that everything in life happens for a reason, for us to grow, for us to learn. And I think that's the beauty of it, instead of being a victim of your circumstances, but to be curious as to what is going on. Now, I mm-hmm. thought maybe we would do one of the, uh, you and I were talking, that it, to help our audience understand, maybe we could actually do uh, one of the exercises. You have lots of different exercises in every chapter. And I mm-hmm. thought maybe you could lead me through an exercise, which I, I do my own and uh, similarly, but I've been suffering with this bronchitis and this cough. And um, so I've been doing some of my own metaphysical things to help me, which I am getting better. But I thought maybe that Mm -hmm. would be a great thing is to do an experiment or an exercise with me to show them at the application level how this works. So can you lead me through it? Yeah, sure. So let's um, talk about health because we spoke about that before we came on air. And so what happens very often when you're trying to meditate or go into a state of relaxation for the purpose of contacting your healing in in consciousness is that the discomfort is very uh, distracting to you. So what I say is I want you to become aware of of whatever the issue is in the body. Just take a moment to think about what that thing is and allow your attention to rest there, so to focus on that. Okay. It, okay. It, okay. So you, I, I can tell you it's like um <clears throat> like a heaviness and a congestion in my chest. So what I'm doing now is not asking you to resist that feeling, but to become aware of this because what it is is a distortion. So any discomfort we feel is a distortion of love. Okay. And so what I want you to do now is with your attention on that. A discomfort. You're going to say mentally, you're not going to say it outward, you're going to start repeating the phrase, I am, and try to feel your way into that. And what that does is bring you into unity 
with what you're experiencing on. So we don't have a lot of time, and I don't want people to rush these ex- uh, exercises, mm-hmm. but it's just to give people an, an understanding. Right. And as you're saying, I am, and you come into unity it, with it, you find your resistance to it lessens. Right. I'm, and I'm, like, what you, I'm leaning into it as I say I am. Okay. Mm-hmm. So while you're there, what you're going to do is use that as an entry point into your wider consciousness okay. where sickness does not exist. So you're continuing to say, I am, and what I want you to do is to become aware of a lightness or an expansion in yourself. And do let me know when you begin to feel yourself expand a little. Okay, I feel a lightness and I actually see like a golden light of illumination kind of around me and around Wonderful. my chest. Okay. So what I want you to do now is to feel after the comfort or feel after the health of that that answers that discomfort. So I want you to start to feel comforted, however that expresses itself. It might be warmth. It might just feel be a happy feeling or a feeling of relief. But what that is is the start of the process. Okay. So I want you to I feel, feel after like that a, I feel like a release release of that congestion. That's really important. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And you're just going to rest with that for as long as it's comfortable, and then you can repeat that as often as is necessary until you actually feel a shift in yourself relative to your discomfort. Mm. Good. I like that. And so, um, you know, I do something very similar, but I wanted to use your exercise, but I do that because whenever I'm sick, I <clears throat> have something. I know that that really my essence is perfect health. So something mm-hmm. is going on that is getting in the way of that perfect health. So, mm-hmm. yeah, but I, you know, just just getting quiet and feeling it and sensing it in and of itself is not resisting. And when you don't resist, that's... You know, whatever we resist persists, right? So if we don't, yeah. So if we don't resist it, then it doesn't have to persist. Okay. Can you point to anything in your own life that demonstrates um, this stuff works in your life? Yeah, sure. I mean, even this book. When I first wrote this book, I was advised that this is not the type of book that publishers are going to be able to publish because there's too much Neville stuff uh, available and this, that, and the other thing. But what I did was I contacted the feeling of being a published author. And it's not a, a wishful thinking. It's not I am or I'm going to be a published author. It's just going to that place in consciousness where you see yourself in that role and you, be, and you step into the image. And what I mean by that is you just imagine what you would be doing were your wish already fulfilled. So I could imagine, I would often imagine myself giving interviews and then I would actually begin to feel as though that was real. So we know how we feel when we're performing a particular action. In the case, I knew how it felt to be talking as I am to you, for example. And in a short time, the manuscript that was initially rejected was uh, requested again without me having to get in touch with anyone, without me having to try to get it to, ha- to, to happen. It was requested, and today I'm a published author. So people holding this book in their hands 
are holding a testament to this philosophy. And they can ask me any questions. I can give many more examples, but I'm just aware of the time constraint. Right, right. So, you know, what about people who have who want to do this, who want to visualize this, who want to feel like they would feel when they're, let's say, doing a, a professional speaking or they're a published author or they become a doctor or whatever it is that their heart desires. What about how do they deal with the little voice inside that says you're full of baloney, you know, <laughs> you know, that, that, you know, you're not enough that you hear when you're growing up, you know, for some people, they didn't have that. They had a supportive uh, parenting and they had all that but there's a lot of people that didn't have that and so that gets in the way so how do you deal with getting beyond that not enough stuff mm-hmm. so one of the things that people need to be aware of is that a desire is an awareness that something is now available to you it's not something that you just want it's something that has been gifted to you as part of your education in this world which is very much a schoolroom and what, the, what I'm teaching people to do through the philosophy is to actually understand that they, can, they must consent to their desire being a reality and do their best not to worry about how it's going to happen. So for people who find they can't get past their own doubts, I recommend that just before you go to sleep, you get into the attitude of having that thing already. So just play this game with yourself. Suppose it were true. It's not a require. It doesn't uh, ask you to do anything. You're going to think about something as you're going to sleep. So why not think about this and just play with this idea? No one needs to know what's going on. You're just performing an action, an activity in your mind, and start to tell yourself that this is really possible for me. I don't know how, but I accept that this is possible for me. And if you do this as you're going to sleep. It takes the pressure off. It doesn't, it doesn't require you to think too much. And you will find a shift starts to occur in your waking life. You start to feel that this thing is really possible for you. And ultimately, you will find yourself ready to express your desire, no longer concerned with how it's going to happen. I think that's the hard part as you get older. For example, I have this dream in my mind to have a conflict healing center on a mountain overlooking the ocean in Kauai. All right. So Mm -hmm. I, I have seen it in my mind's eye, but I know, and I'll try doing this tonight when I go to sleep, I'll just visualize it. I'll visualize myself walking and looking out at the ocean and having people come and hear me, you know, share these exercises to do these things. But I know then all these other stupid thoughts come in like, okay, you can't do this. You're too, you know what I mean? You got these, mm-hmm. the, the, the negative nannies in there <laughs> that, uh, you know, that, and I think that's the hard part, you know, for me, and I'm one who really believes in this stuff and I know this stuff, but those negative thoughts come in. How do you deal with those? So you just have to persist. And one of the things that people should do is try to avoid um, visualizing in the way that we've been taught to visualize. And that's to say, as though you're observing an actor on a stage, what you want to do is actually enter the image and start to experience whatever's happening around you using your mental senses, right? So we have the physical senses of sight, touch, hearing, taste, and smell. We also have the mental version, which are the senses that belong to our authentic or conscious beings. 
And what you want to do is to enter an image, perhaps you're in that beautiful location um, in Hawaii, and you're touching something on a table. And what you want to do um, is go into it to the point where you cannot see your own face, just as though you, just as you do not see your own face in the, in, when you're awake and walking around. You want to start to see, look at the objects around you. Don't look at yourself doing those things, but enter the image. What you're doing by that is contacting it and consenting to it being a, a reality. So mm. just to remind everyone, a desire is something that has been given to you. We're just looking for consent. And you will eventually overcome the doubt. Believe me, if you persist, you will, you will overcome the doubt. Beautiful. You know, I wanted to ask you about, in Chapter 10, you talk about metanoia. Uh, metanoia. I, and um, mm-hmm. I wanted you to explain that. That's um, a form of repentance. But if you could explain, and you said that is, you said metanoia metanoia or repentance is the secret to changing your world by first changing your attitude toward it and we we have a couple minutes and i'd love you to kind of go into that it's a fascinating chapter okay so it's your world changes as you change because your consciousness changes your relationship to what's going on in the world so it's a radical state of mind i put it at this stage in the book because people will have started to have worked with the will have already worked with some of the techniques and become familiar with it but what it's saying to us all is that we then have positioned ourselves as the creator we positioned ourselves as causation in our own lives by changing our attitude towards ourselves and once we believe certain things are possible for us we're going to see them show up in the world in their physical form the physical correlates of what we believe to be true of ourselves will show up. And that's essentially what I was going for in that chapter. Yeah, and, you know, I think that's kind of like for some people who aren't familiar with this, it's almost like affirmative prayer. It's like you you believe it and then you will see it rather than, you know, seeing it and then you'll believe it. It's kind of like Wayne Dyer was talking about that Mm -hmm. as you – see it in your mind's eye as you feel it, as you know it, as you believe it, and as you really recognize it to be true, then mm-hmm. it becomes true is what I think you're you're saying is really having yeah, that. And, and, Go ahead. And in addition, sorry, Molly, to interrupt you, but in addition, it's also actually losing confidence in the structures that we have um learn to trust in, like uh, the political structures or the education system or health and science and whatever, we don't see them as the only solutions to our problems. We've developed confidence in consciousness that the source of all inspiration is able to provide us with new answers and ideas about what's going on in the world and how we can engage with it. Right. And then you have a a chapter, we we actually have like two more minutes. So you have a (laughs) wonderful chapter on fearlessness. I think, uh, isn't it, you know, I I love that uh, saying that fear is an acronym for false expectation appearing real. And Mm -hmm. I think fear holds us back a lot, doesn't it? Yes, absolutely. I mean, it distorts love. And if you think about the fact that we are made in love and born in love, and what love is, what I mean by love is um, um, things without condition or something without condition. I think this is just absolute freedom. 
fear actually blocks that and stems the flow of that. So it puts limitations on us. Obviously, as we know, it stops us from doing things. It stops us from gaining and experiencing and so on. Yeah, because fear is so debilitating and it's and it's paralyzing. So I remember many years ago reading a book by Marsha Sinatar called Feel the Fear and Do It Anyway, <laughs> you know, <laughs> which I try to remind myself of that to, to just feel the fear. Well, we're just about out of time, but I want you to um, give the name of your book again. And um, go ahead. It's Infinite Possibility, How to Use the Ideas of Neville Goddard to Create the Life You Want. And this is by Catherine Jagetti, and it's, again, you can see her Facebook page at K-A-T-H-E-R-I-N-E, Jagetti, J-E-G-E-D-E, all one word, and you can go and ask her questions and find out more about her and her book. So thank you so much for joining us, and you take care, and hopefully we'll see you with your next book, right? Thank you, Maria. I'd love to be with you again. <laughs> okay, take care. Bye-bye. Thank you. Bye. You've been listening to KUCI 88.9 FM and Irvine and KUCI.org on the net. I'm Mari Frank. Join us every Monday morning at 8.30 and visit our website at conflicthealing.com. Thanks. The opinions and views expressed in this program do not reflect those of KUCI, its management, or the UC Board of Regents. Bye.